Geopolitics and Empire is joined by freedom fighter James Roguski, who's an author, researcher, activist, natural health advocate. He specializes in researching highly complex issues and translating data into simple language that's easily understood to facilitate action. His website, um, the links are in the description, but jamesroguski.substack.com. Welcome back to Geopolitics and Empire, James. Pleasure to be here. You know, we got a chance to meet, I don't know, six months or so ago in person. And so, you know, that makes a big, big difference. And that's one of the things that I think is important and is missing. And, you know, you asked me just before we started if um, I get a lot of phone calls because I always give my phone number. So here's my phone number right out of the gate. 310-619-3055. I'm in California. Call me anytime. I turn my phone off when I go to sleep. I'm that serious about this. You know, this is important. 310-619-3055. I met a lot of wonderful people around the world. And, you know, this is not just the United States. This is a worldwide issue. And so uh, hopefully we answer all of your questions and uh, you don't need to um, pursue that anymore. And you've got every answer you've ever needed. But I know that's not going to be the case. People have questions and uh, feel free to reach out to me. So thanks for you know the opportunity to reach out to your audience. Yeah, and you know we, we're hanging out at the uh, American Freedom Alliance. I get the mug yeah. right here. We're hanging out with Dr. Rima uh, and, and other fantastic people. And uh, I'd agree with you that it, it is uh, encouraging meeting together in in person. And you know there are ebbs and flows. But when mm -hmm. I'm spending too much time talking about this stuff online on the podcast and TNT Radio, and not meeting, you know, if it's been a while, I've met someone in person. You know, I get kind of depressed. But then as soon as I meet someone in person, like hanging out with you and Dr. Rima and others, it's like you get energized and then, uh -huh. Uh -huh. you know, you, you you go back into the fight. And uh, I was listening. You were recently on a great roundtable with Meryl Nass and James uh -huh. Corbett, who have both been past um, guests of mine. Actually, James is joining me this week again on uh, TNT Radio. And you, you've been all over the place as well on TNT Radio. And perhaps a good place to start, I think, maybe would be to sort of resummarize the situation we find ourselves in for the people who've been living under a rock or only just now escaping the matrix or too busy building their homesteads for the end of the world or the end of the world as we know it you know this plan for total global control by the world homicide organization and company you know what is its what's the latest iteration uh look like well i'm, I'm going to use a bad word uh, you said re-summarize and i'm going to say well you know the way the situation is right now we're going to have to reset everybody's thinking okay and not the great reset but in, in this case at this moment in time, today, as we're recording this, is October 16th. So just to put this, you know, spot in time, put a flag in there. Please understand that, you know, they're negotiating agreements. And so as, you know, time passes, things change. And what I have been cautioning and continue to caution everybody is when you wake up every morning, it's a new world and there's new information. and for what's going on right at this moment, right now, the negotiations that the WHO is engaged in are in a very serious state of fluctuation right now. Very serious state of fluctuation. At this moment, there's three things that I'm focused on. One of them is super important, and the other two are in such a state of flux that I got them not on the back burner, but they're not on the front burner. Right there in the middle burner, if, if such a thing could be said. I probably want to talk about the pressing issue most, 
because there's time sensitive things that are going on. And so, but I'll lay out what those three things are. Number one is last year, 2022, on May 27th, the World Health Assembly, that's different than the WHO, did adopt amendments to the international health regulations. I'm going to guess 99% of everybody has no idea what the heck I just said. There's no reason why they would. And if you press them, they might have a little foggy idea, but very few and far between the people who actually are aware of what that is. Well, the way that works is not the way people think it works. The deadline to reject those is December 1st. So we've got about a month and a half from the time we're recording this. The second thing is another batch of amendments to the international health regulations that were submitted back on September 30th of 2022. So those are a year old. This is the first you're hearing of those. You know, they've been kept under wraps relatively well. Doubt that the uh, um, mainstream media has ever published a link so people could go read them, right? Um, well, they've been negotiated in secret for more than a year. And in their last meeting, um, I'll give away a couple of the important points. They basically, it was supposed to be their last week-long meeting. Uh, that happened October 2nd to the 6th. Now, this is for the big batch of amendments, 197 pages, 307 different amendments. People have heard some of the information from there. But I can almost guarantee you nobody's dug down and has read the whole darn thing. It's boring as sin. It'll put you right to sleep. But it's it shouldn't be. It's actually frightening. And so the deadline for them to submit that is the week of January 22nd to the 26th, four months in advance of the next World Health Assembly on May 27th of 2024. Well, in their meeting, they said that they're not going to meet their deadline. Then they proceeded to lay out a plan as to how they're going to ignore the deadline. And then they proceeded to put all the details of that plan into their final report. And I don't know if you're familiar with the Delphi technique, but then they took a coffee break and they came back in and the people running the show put in new language that hides everything they were talking about. Just go, okay, got to watch that guy, you know, those people. Um, and they also said, well, you know, we've been through a discussion of all of this over the past year. They have a meeting set for December uh, 7 and 8, which was meant to be their final meeting. And they were going to submit it to the International Health Regulations Review Committee. And they're not going to meet their deadlines. They're going to keep changing it until the last minute, which I think is a violation of international law. So the third thing is really in a state of flux. And today, as we speak, um, October 16th, uh, the other track of these negotiations, which is the, um, if I ever hear somebody say the words pandemic treaty again, mm, stop saying that. It's a convention agreement. It's the WHO Convention 
agreement. If somebody says the phrase pandemic treaty, and if I say it by accident, you know, smack me upside the head, it's not a treaty. It's a convention. And they're supposed to be dropping privately today a new version called the negotiating text. I haven't seen it. It's supposed to be circulating amongst the powers that be, the delegates and the relevant stakeholders. And in the past, things like this have leaked out. So if you find one, give me a phone call, 310-619-3055. Love to have it. You'll be my best buddy. Um, we shall see what the new version of it might be. Um, so for the big pile of amendments and the convention agreement, which is, again, not a treaty, it's more like if you were signing a contract with somebody and at the last minute they put a whole, whole bunch of paper, blank sheets of paper and stapled it all up and go, hey, we'll have somebody off in the future fill in the blanks there. Just go ahead and sign it. That's what they want to do. It's a framework convention. All the details to be worked out by worked out later by people who are not accountable to you and me, right? Insanity to even consider signing a blank contract. Just crazy. But it's been done before. 1992 Framework Convention for Climate Change should give you an idea of how bad something like that can go, right? And so those are the three things. The amendments that were adopted last year, the amendments that are in a state of flux, and the um, not a treaty framework convention, WHOCA plus, that's also in a state of flux, that are shooting for next May. And so mostly what I want to talk about, but we'll talk about whatever you want, is the fact that let me stop talking and I'll, I'll let you get a word in edgewise because I am fired up about all this. No, I, I again, you know, the purpose of my podcast is is to get my guests' memory and and data dump. I was just going to add if people can see behind me with my new Sony, you know, Sharp Cam. Thanks to people supporting the program, I've got from two thousand and nine my actual tag. Uh, when I attended the World Health Assembly, it was the sixty second World Health Assembly. It's got my name on there. I was with the Czech Republic's mission to the UN. Uh, Margaret Chan was SecGen uh, at the time, and. Uh, I was in the. It was really something to be in the belly of the beast uh, there, and that was during the 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 fake swine flu uh, pandemic. So uh, I got a little taste of what was um, to come. And so, no, I'd I'd like you to continue, but uh, I don't know if you want to talk about it now or later. But uh, it's great that you summarized the key issues, and then if at some point you could sort of translate that, what would it mean for us in our daily life? You know, for uh, myself, a, a nationalized Mexican here in Mexico for Americans in America for, sorry, uh, well, it's, it gets confusing with Spanish and English, um, but you know, for Europeans in Europe, if these things were put into place, you know, there, there's there's the digital vaccine passports, um, which I guess would, would they'd want to make them mandatory and then all sorts of other stuff. So if you want to continue on what you're talking about, but as well at some point, you know, sort of translate. You know, we have we have the time. We'll take the time to you know do into get into that. But what I really want to start with is this sort of chronological, time sensitive thing up first. Um, let me do it this way. You, you gave me actually a good segue because you have been in the belly of the beast at 
correct me, you, you said the 64th World 62nd, Health, yeah, 2009. 62nd World Health Assembly. Yeah. Okay. So it's important to distinguish World Health Assembly is not the same as the World Health Organization. Okay. The World Health Assembly is the governing body of the World Health Organization, or so they would have you believe. Okay. Um, in the United States, people could think about the Senate, right? The Senate is an assembly of senators, right? You know, they come together. People have, you know, a state assembly, you know, your representative or, or what have you. So 194 nations send their delegations to Geneva once every May, the last week of May, and they assemble, they get together, right? They a meeting. And their decisions set policy, or so they say, for the WHO. And so the WHO is a big old bureaucracy. And they have uh, Director General Tedros Ghebreyesus. And they're supposed to implement the policies of the World Health Assembly. Well, you know, it's gotten muddled because, and, and this is a big piece of it, but we'll talk about it in the second part. They have failed for 75 years to write regulations that are sorely needed. But what they're negotiating is everything but. And we'll, we'll get to that. And, and so here's a, here's a brain bender, and I don't know how old you are, so we'll see where this goes. Um, have you heard the story that possibly men traveled to the moon and came back in July of 1969 or so? Okay. I've heard that story, and I've interviewed Bart Sabrell, and I, I'm not really convinced on that story. But I, <laughs> you've, you, you've, uh, I, 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 I phrased it in a very specific way. You've heard the story. Right. Okay. Um, where were you around that time? Not here. <laughs> okay. All right. So you're absolved of all responsibility. You were not on planet. Okay. You were born after 1969, I take it. Well, I was nine years old and I was laying on the couch watching the black and white, you know, fuzzy, whatever the heck was going on. At that same exact time, they were having the 22nd World Health Assembly in Boston. And that is when they adopted the international health regulations. You think anybody was paying attention? <laughs> okay. So here's where the problem began. All of the nations joined the WHO. Um, the United States passed a, a joint resolution of Congress signed by Harry Truman on June 14th, um, 1948. And the various nations join whenever they join. Okay. And, and in that document, the United States said, well, our relationship with the WHO is, you know, we're here to help, but it's an advisory thing. And nothing that the WHO says is any kind of a requirement on us. But that's that document. The IHR is a separate treaty. Now, I just made a mistake. <clears throat> Many people call it a treaty. It's listed as a treaty. But in reality, it's an ex a sole executive agreement. Right? It never went through the Senate confirmation or advice and consent to get two-thirds of the Senate. 
what happened, and pardon me, I should have grabbed this in advance. No problem. I have a I have a high-tech graphic that I'm going to share with you that I'm working on making better. And and so you're going to get the original version of it that I um, have been pushing around. Here's where the problem really is. Okay. The international health regulations is a separate agreement amongst all of the member nations, plus two observers, the Vatican and Liechtenstein, which is not a member, but they are party to the IHR. And that, to my knowledge, best I can do to find, never went through Senate confirmation. What happened was our leaders agreed to cut out the people and parliaments or Congress or the Senate from any, any power, any authority over the international health regulations. Forget about the details of what's in the IHR, except for the fact that what most people think should have been done is it should say in there, well, um, you got to take this back to your nation and properly ratify it. And then if you properly ratify it, we're good. And if there's any amendments in the future, you got to take those amendments back to your nation and properly ratify it. And then we're good. That's not what's in the darn document. Okay. What's in the document is they just approved it. They just adopted it. And somebody signed it. I haven't found yet. If anybody can find, you know, some signature, you know, making us be obligated to sign on it or, or to abide by it, haven't been able to find that. But there's certainly no Senate confirmation debate in, you know, everybody's looking up at the moon. Right. And so I have a fancy little drawing that um, looks a little bit like a coronavirus, but it's not meant to be a coronavirus. And so this fancy drawing, okay, is the circle in the middle of the blue is a, a, a negotiating table. And all of the nations sent their delegates in blue. So hundreds of people negotiating the IHR. And the purple is the leadership of the various nations who appointed those delegates. And what they did when they wrote the IHR is they put a barrier between that council of leaders and their delegates, and they cut out the people and their representatives in parliament and Congress and the Senate. And so I know fancy graphics, I'll work on making a better one, but it gets the point across. The IHR is when, in regards to health related to the WHO, we didn't lose our sovereignty, but we lost any democratic control of our leadership. The leaders of the nations agreed amongst themselves to give the leaders of the nation sole power to reject any amendments. They didn't do it in what most people, I think, would say is the proper way. Oh, if we make any changes, or quite frankly, when we sign this darn document, um, it has to go back and be ratified. They just cut the people and the representatives of the people out of the picture. 
If I could just interject there, because, you know, I had an experience being at the World Health Assembly, the 62nd in 2009 um, in Geneva. Um, And if I'm recollecting well, what you're saying, like, I believe I witnessed this because I was just a staff assistant to the Czech mission to the UN, like the health section. Uh, And so we we'd be sent we were in random buildings in in geneva we'd be you know going from this building we go to back rooms with smaller groups and all around uh were lobbyists from i don't know where i mean they'd even give me my cards so there were lobbyists you know participating in creating the 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 policies for the eu governments for the you know ultimately did they have to create one position for the eu of you know the 20 some member states to uh-huh. then be presented to the uh, WHA and what you're saying is you know who are these men in black suits from the shadows participating in these meetings directing you know um what's going to be added in or or not so actually you know i saw there were lobbyists and then again you know who are who are these lobbyists helping to to push uh, agendas or policies and so that's kind of how it works you know i was there and i saw like you said the the representatives of the nation states of the eu and then lobbyists and so yeah i get it i know that that's how the world works but especially in the united states there's a uh, naive belief that, oh, whatever they decide, it's going to have to come back to the Senate and be adopted, right, or ratified or whatever. Well, no. You know, they didn't do that when they adopted the whole kit and caboodle in 1969. They didn't do it when they made changes in the 80s. They didn't do it in 2005. They didn't do it last year. You don't have any say in the matter, and neither does your congressperson or senator or member of parliament. The adoption of the IHR in 1969, in my personal opinion, was done illegitimately. Oh, look at the moon. What's going on over there? Okay. Timing, coincidence, sure. Okay. Taking advantage of a good situation to craft language that 54 years later, um, nobody, any, anybody here um, watching, have, has anybody read the 1969 IHRs? Okay. Um, there's probably somebody else. So the problem can never be solved if you're treating the symptoms 54 years later. The problem is in 1969, democracy took it on the chin. Now, I know we're a republic in the United States, but what I'm talking about is the feedback mechanism where our rights are respected and our voices are heard. And so in the U.S., a couple of months ago, um, Javier Becerra was interviewed on a Aspen, Colorado um, event, and they asked him a very interesting question. They said, you know, if you could tell Americans what you would like them to know about the Department of Health and Human Services, which he's the secretary, what would you have them know? What, what, what would you like them to know? And he didn't skip a beat. He was like, oh, you know, everybody in America, they should understand that the federal government does not have authority over healthcare." We have a lot of money, and that has a lot of influence, but the federal government does not have any authority 
That's for the states and the people. So they know, okay? After the 2005 amendments were adopted, there was an 18-month period for nations to submit either a rejection or a reservation. Well, interestingly enough, the United States waited a little bit more than two years to submit their reservation, and somehow it got in, right? And they stated in there that they clearly understand that we're, you know, we have a federal government system and that the federal government will try to abide by the IHR, but they're going to have to ask the states. Okay. So they know that they do not have authority. So they did not have the authority, the executive branch, to hand over any authority to the WHO back in 1969. Totally illegitimate. Now, if they had come back and said, oh, hey, you know, we want to change international law, but we don't have the authority to do it. Let's see if we can get a constitutional amendment to adopt the WHO's constitution and give them all these powers about health. Well, you know, good luck with that. But that would have been the proper legal procedure. So out of the gate in 1969, when everybody's looking up at the moon or TV, right? They adopt the international health regulations. And then they made major changes in 2005, and they're talking about major changes now. And so last year, what happened? You know what? I, I kind of want to take a reset. Um, do you do you want to say anything about that before I, I go forward, before it's just me droning on? No, I mean, I think this is important because we haven't really done this before in your story. You're giving us the deep dive on how this all began and you know how we got here um and so uh no please, please continue okay you know i i think it kind of comes from you know my background and my training in natural health if you're treating the symptoms yeah they're just you're going to keep seeing symptoms if you identify the cause okay um you treat the cause and, and you've got a chance at stopping the problem so the cause is the illegitimate agreement back in 1969 to get into an international agreement that was not run through the Senate and was not properly agreed to. Um, that's where the problem lies. And they set up a structure where if any changes were to be made in the future, we don't get the, you know, the United States never, ever, ever has a national referendum. We're not a democracy. So we don't vote for stuff like that. Um, and our members of Congress or the Senate clearly were cut out of the picture. And what I'm about to talk about is a living, real life, you're in the middle of this reality situation that proves how the system is flawed. And so going back to December of 2021, they had a special session, and they abbreviated W-H-A-S-S. -S. That's how they always abbreviate the World Health Assembly, so I've adopted it. It's the W-H-A-S that is doing this. They had a special session, and on December 1st, they put forth a directive that they wanted the assembly to 
negotiate, all the nations to negotiate a new convention, agreement, or other international instrument, which is essentially the regulations, to ensure equity in obtaining uh, medical countermeasures that are pandemic response products. So the directive of these negotiations was not about health. Get that out of your head. No, 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 no. They're not talking about health. They're not talking about all of the mistakes and the crimes and everything that have been committed over the last four years. They're talking about equity. And equity is money. So just, you know, it's a venture capital prospectus that they're negotiating. And that's why they're having a hard time because everybody wants a piece of the pie. That was concluded on December 1st, 2021. So a month and a half later on January 18th, Boom, the Biden administration, along with the EU and a handful of other nations, drops in these amendments at the last minute, four months in advance of the assembly. And there's not a word about equity. And so they did that very quietly. I didn't get a memo. I stumbled upon it. Um, I, you know, I think divinely inspired, but I stumbled upon it at four in the morning on May, I'm sorry, March 28th little more than two months later. I'm like, what is this? And, and so many of the nations, I believe, were quite upset with the United States because they wanted to start this long, you know, all-inclusive process. And the United States goes, oh, no, 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 let's do this. Let's see if we can sneak this through. And I was raising awareness of it. And, you know, there's some interesting connections and, and how, you know, people became more and more aware of it. But, you know, these negotiations had been going on, and what people have heard is that, oh, the African nations stopped Biden from doing that. Yes, but not for the reasons that you think. The reasons were, they're like, hey, what's in it for us? We said we wanted equity. You're just giving us more rules and requirements. You're giving more power to the WHO. You know, did you not hear what we just said officially that we wanted? What the heck do you think you're doing? So they kicked it to the curb. As a face-saving measure, in the middle of the assembly on May 24th, the United States, the European Union, the UK, Australia, a handful of other countries, I think, again, illegitimately, submitted a different batch of amendments. Now, it included one from the original batch. And three days later, after a bunch of back room, I mean, they literally said, hey, turn off the cameras. We're going." I mean, they literally said, we've reserved the room in the back of the Palace of Nations. Um, we're going to close down the cameras. We'll go talk it out and come back. And they did. And boom, you know, it's been adopted. No public discussion, no four months, you know, they, they absolutely just obliterated Article 55, which says if a nation wants to propose amendments, they shall, which means they must, submit them four months in advance. Well, they submitted it three days in advance. Okay. And the hip hypocrisy and the irony of it is there were amendments to five articles. And one of them was Article 55, 
which is where it says you have to submit amendments four months in advance. So they submitted amendments that included the article that says you have to do it four months in advance in the middle of the assembly. I mean, so the blatant hypocritical or hypocritic view, they don't care. Rules, who needs rules, right? So the reason why that was being pushed through was the period for nations to reject any amendments currently is 18 months. Plenty of time to consider any changes to international regulations. The Biden administration wanted to shorten that to six months, from 18 down to six. Now, if you're familiar with U.S., um, the political world, our um, president takes the oath of office on January 20th of every four years. And we have our elections and so forth. So if amendments are adopted on June 1st of 2024, six months in advance would be December 1st. So that would still be within Biden's administration. They wanted to shorten the time period so that they would have complete control and they could not be rejected. Well, it got negotiated out to 10 months. So major fail for the Biden administration. Whoever may be the president starting in 2025 will have February and March to reject these amendments. One of the reasons why I still have some optimism and hope, we've got a year to pick a new president, whoever the heck that may be, right? Um, so the amendments that were adopted last year have 18 months to be rejected, which brings you to December 1st, 2023, about a month and a half from now. You can yell at your congressperson. You can yell at your member of parliament or senator. Um, they have no power. They are absolutely impotent in this unless they stand up and want to point out that, that the IHRs are illegitimate from the get-go and we should leave the WHO and leave the IHR. But the point of power in this is 194 people the 194 leaders of each nation. Now, forgive me, I, I'm not aware, I don't have in the front of my brain, you know, the president's name in Mexico and Costa Rica and Ecuador and El Salvador and Honduras and Panama and every other nation on the planet. But wherever it is you live, whatever country you're in, the person to reach out to and say, hey, um, you have the authority under Article 61 of the IHR to just write a letter to the WHO and reject the amendments. And so the task at hand that I'm going to be focused on for the next month and a half, um, hopefully by the time you publish this um, video, um, right down below here will be the letter that you can send, okay, at least in the United States. So, you know, my, um, my task at hand over the next month and a half is to reach out to all of the people around the world and all of the leaders of all of the nations. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I wrote an open letter to every national, you know, leader of every nation around the world. They must be aware that they have the authority to reject um, the amendments, but maybe not. You know, there's a lot of crazy things going on in the world and people are distracted, um, but that's a hard and fast deadline.
And so I will be working for the next month and a half to raise awareness as much as I can and get people to raise the awareness of their leader, 194 people. Actually, I take that back, 196, because Liechtenstein sent a letter to the Pope because it also applies to the Vatican City. Um, telling our leaders that we want them to reject these amendments, that the only reason was that Biden was trying to take complete control of the process. There is no one will be saved by shortening the time period to consider future amendments. Nobody will be made any healthier. There is absolutely no valid reason for the amendments that were adopted, illegitimately submitted, not four months in advance, but three days uh, in the middle, and you know, they just rammed it through. Every leader on the planet should write a letter to the WHO and say, thank you very much, but no thanks for our country. A, a good analogy would be if you bought, I don't know, a suit or something, and you've got a 30-day return policy, and you tried it on, you wore it, you brought it home, and for some reason you didn't like it, and you return it, right? So last year, our delegates went to the World Health Assembly, and they brought home some amendments. And as far as I'm concerned, it doesn't fit. Send it back. Reject it. We still have until December 1st for that to happen. And so um, give me a phone call. I'll give my number a bunch of times. Obviously, this would have to be translated into multiple languages around the world if anybody wants to help translate and so forth. Down below, I, I will have a you know version for the United States. And if anybody wants to take that and adopt it to their country, essentially, this is a physical letter. This is not an email. I know everybody likes to just push a button and make things easy. What this is going to be is a letter to Tedros written out to make it easy for your leader to just sign and send dear who thank you very much for the offer of these wonderful amendments from a 27 2022 but for our nation we reject them as is our right under article 61 of the ihr so i you know i'm under no illusion that president biden is going to sign a letter to tedros and reject the amendments that he was trying to get down to six months, but failed. But I do believe that there are many nations around the world who their leaders might do that on behalf of their nation. And one of the reasons why I say that is in September at the United Nations, they had a week um, long series of meetings where they had four separate declarations that they were trying to ram through. And a group of 11 nations at the last moment on Sunday before the meetings were going to start on Monday, they sent a letter to the um, president of the General Assembly saying, nope, we're not going for it. And so my hope is that at the end of November, nations around the world, their leaders will have become aware that their people want these ridiculous amendments to be rejected. And it's just a signing of a letter saying, no, thanks, not for us. And when I wake up on December 2nd from my long nap, because I don't think I'm going to be sleeping much from now until then, I hope to find 
that many nations around the world have said no. And what then will result is a, a, a rift amongst the nations in the WHO, where some of them will still be obligated by a deeply flawed international health regulations from 1969 and deep, you know, severely amended in 2005, but they won't be um, held legally bound to the amendments. If any nation rejects the amendments, they'll be following the rules that we've been following since 2005. But if a nation fails to do so, they won't have 18 months to consider this big pile of amendments. They'll only have 10 months. Well, it's a ridiculous amendment because if you're considering something, you could, you could accept it in two months. You could accept it in five months. But to limit your, your flexibility and say, no, we want to constrain our flexibility down to 10 months, for what reason? Okay, It makes no sense at all. It has no purpose. It's just a control mechanism to speed up the process. And so we're 16 and a half months into this process. So you can see how shortening it to 10 months, nobody's talked about it for 16 and a half months. Shortening it makes absolutely no sense at all. So from now until December 1st, I obviously will be doing many other things and, you know, life is complicated and there's a lot of important things going on in the world. But generally, uh, I'm going to do everything I can to focus like a laser beam on the fact that every leader of every nation has the opportunity to just write a letter to the WHO and say, no, thank you. Um, we pass. And so at this moment in time, the other documents, the big pile of amendments that the deadline to submit is the first, I'm sorry, the week of January 22nd to 26th of 2024, they're in a state of flux. They're supposed to submit a new version, maybe the first week of December or so. And they've already said that they're going to break the rules and extend the deadline. The deadline for the negotiations of the convention agreement plus has always been they're going to negotiate right up to the last minute, right? And that is in a state of flux. I'm a little concerned that it's going to pull everyone's attention away and, and function as a decoy when it comes out at the end of October. People can be, ooh, 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 new, new document, new document in the face of an impending December 1st deadline. So, you know, I'm sure I'm going to delve into that and report on it, but it's a distraction. It's clearly a distraction. So that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. You know, and what you mentioned, um, what I like to do is also to let the uh, whatever representative, you know, national, uh, international, I use Solzhenitsyn's quote um, to at least, you know, as you said, let them know uh, that they can reject these amendments but also that um that we know that, that that they know that we know that they're lying you know some of them <laughs> some of these just, just to let them know that we know that they're lying uh and that they're you know um <laughs> how would you put it politely uh 
uh, you know, that th- they're doing what they're doing is is, is sinister and, and evil. And and maybe at some point, if there's enough people um, that are aware of this and letting them know, they might t- take a step back. Uh, and then so you've sort of laid out all, you know, all of the organizations, how this functions and just, you know, real quick to to translate that, like if the, if these were pushed in, what, you know, potentially what could life look like under this global you know kafkaesque bureaucratic system uh would they then be able and, you know as you mentioned there there could be pushback maybe you know even if this was passed maybe in some states in the u.s they could still say no you know if you had a good governor uh mayor or whatnot but what potentially you know could they force everyone to be injected in all nations prevent them from traveling uh because you know you, you would need a, a digital a passport uh, and, and and whatnot. Okay, again, making sure everybody's clear on the different things. Okay, the amendments that have the deadline of December first; those are those are relatively modest. They just shorten the time period that this big pile of things would have to time to be rejected. So, what I'm about to talk about is not in that from last year. It's what they're negotiating in secret this year. All of the things that you said can be found in the original version, but they've been talking about that for a year. And they're supposed to be presenting a new draft first or second week of December. We shall see if they do. I'm hesitant to talk about the details of the horror stories of what you might find in there, right? Um, We shall see. The problem is... It was supposed to be submitted in its final form, uh, a package of targeted amendments, according to Article 55, four months in advance of the assembly. So the period of time that we're supposed to be able to discuss those is likely to disappear. And they want to submit it whenever the hell they want to submit it. And so the point with the big package of amendments is hold on just a minute. You guys are trying to cheat. You didn't meet your deadline. You you spoke those words in public. If you were honorable people, which mm, if you were honorable people, you would simply say, we're not going to make the deadline. We'll have to put it off till next year. Okay. That's what honorable people would have done. That's not what they're doing. And so getting people to understand that they're plotting to break the international law, Article 55, it's as plain as day. A lot of times you read law and there's a lot of wiggle room. You know, you can see where the you can see where the exception is and the loophole is, right? It says very clearly, nations shall submit amendments four months in advance. They're going to keep changing it and changing it and changing it and changing it. And I mentioned the Delphi technique. I think I did earlier. Um, The idea behind the Delphi technique was actually on display. And there will be a video down below here talking about what I'm talking about. Where they know where they want these negotiations to go. And the actual negotiations are theatrical production. It's a facade. It's a charade. And they did this as plain as day. There'll be uh, a long video um, about their meeting where they're lying, 
right? And they took a coffee break in the middle of discussing the final language for their report of their meetings. And when they came back, the co-chairs submitted a tiny little paragraph to replace the detailed explanation of the plot to break the rules. They spent an hour discussing the plot of how they don't have to obey that rule. And then at the last minute, they put language in that if all you did was read the final report or the press release about the final report, you would have no idea. And so the issue with the big pile of amendments is we don't know what they are at this point in time. Maybe we will at the beginning of December. There'll be an uproar there, let me tell you, as soon as I get my hands on them. Um, but there's supposed to be a four-month period to consider them between them being submitted and the assembly. And they're breaking that rule. You know, they're, they have diplomatic immunity. So, you know, convicting them of a crime, basically all we can do is treat them like the cockroaches that they are. When you walk into a room and you turn on the light, you know, shine a light on what they're doing and just watch them squirm. Okay. For the other document, it's totally in a state of flux, but I wrote um, a declaration, thepeoplesdeclaration.com, which is sort of all-inclusive about this because what's really going on here is not just what they have in the documents. People, um, I think, pay attention to the trees, but they miss the forest. What I say in the peoplesdeclaration.com is, well, you know what you're not negotiating in this convention agreement? You're not negotiating an end to gain-of-function research. You're actually negotiating under the guise of an agreement that is supposed to reduce the risk of the next pandemic. You're negotiating this One Health scenario where you're going all over every place in the world, taking swabs of people's noses or other orifices, or at the veterinarian's office, you're swabbing your cat and your dog in their um, stool sample, or your chicken coop, or your pigsty, or your horse bedding, or your septic system, or your wastewater treatment plant, or the local bat cave, or the kangaroo enclosure, or whatever it might be. Oh, look, we found a new pathogen with pandemic potential. They're, they're not talking about the things that people think they're talking about. They're talking about investing tens of billions of dollars into a laboratory network to find pathogens with pandemic potential. And they want to loosen the restrictions on gain of function. If they make something, you know, able to transmit to humans, human humanize these pathogens, then they want to make a medical countermeasure, a drug or a jab to treat or inject people under the guise, well, this could cause a pandemic. So we have to protect you from the thing that we dug up, messed with, and created a product that we want to then inject into people, which has been shown to make them less healthy, not more healthy. And so they're just investing in a business model. Their business model is based on producing fear. 
let's go find something scary in some bat cave somewhere or whatever other animal you want to pick. The horror of just, just think about farmers or ranchers who raise fowl, like chicken or turkey or anything like that. You know, avian flu. Well, if you have your own little chicken coop and one of your birds looks like they're ill, you know, you might take them and set them aside and take care of them, separate them from the other birds. Um, their solution is to kill them all. It, it is evil beyond belief. And, and so what they're looking for are reasons to call herds around the world to lower down for climate change, right? Oh, we got too many animals making too many farts or whatever. And, and the whole One Health agenda is about control and fear. And, and so it remains to be seen what the next version of the convention agreement might include. But I can almost assure you that none of these documents are addressing health. And so to keep this video a, a little bit short, maybe I'll, I'll wrap it up with this. And this is a shout out to every open-minded medical professional on the planet who hears what I'm about to say. Um, please give me a call because I need for you to speak out about what I'm about to say. Article 21 of the International Health Regulations states very clearly that the Health Assembly has the authority to adopt regulations and standards for a handful of health-related issues. It's very clear. Article 21, Section A, B, C, D, and E in the WHO Constitution. I wrote an article about this back on, I think, June 30th. What they should have done is realized that, hey, you know what? Uh, the WHO has been around for 75 years, and they've never written any regulations about health-related issues in 21 BC D&E. To my knowledge, I can't find it. Okay? They should be writing regulations about advertising and labeling. Because it would have been really nice to have an international standard that you can't have a blank package insert in a bunch of injectables. That falls under labeling. The insert is part of the label. It would have been really great to have advertising rules against the government saying, safe and effective, safe and effective, got to go get it, safe and effective. Okay. Well, not allowed to say that without the list of. Um, side effects. The sheets are blank. 75 years the WHO has been in existence, to my knowledge, they may, have, they may have statements, but they don't have regulations. If you read the IHR and I'm missing it somewhere, please correct me, but I can't find it. D says that they have the authority to write regulations for the purity and safety of biological and pharmaceutical products that are in international commerce. Well, you know, it'd be great to have a regulation that limits the amount of circular plasmid DNAs wrapped up in lipid nanoparticles that are found by accident in your mRNA jab. 
I, I wouldn't mind a regulation saying you can't do that. Okay. They're supposed to write regulations about um, diagnostic techniques. Well, if anybody has even remotely looked into the PCR process, you realize that it's not a diagnostic technique. It would be really nice to have regulations that say, hey, what do you think you're doing? That's not legit, right? They're supposed to write or have the authority to write regulations about um, determining cause of death. 75 years, there's no regulations that have some methodology of, wait a minute, um, with or from COVID. How do, you, how do you determine whether or not a person died from or with something? And probably the most egregious thing is they have the authority to write regulations about what they refer to as nomenclatures, terminology, right? Well, there is no legal definition of the word pandemic. There is no legal definition of the word vaccine. There is no legal definition of safe or effective. And I won't do it now, but I could go on for days about how safe is not a thing. Safe is something that a person looks at the risk. They look at the benefit because the, the package insert gives you all of the information. And they make a risk-benefit analysis for themselves to determine whether or not they feel that it's, you know, the, the benefits outweigh the risks. Safety is not the issue. There's always risks. I'll give an uh, interesting analogy. If anybody's familiar with the um, concept of Russian roulette, you get a revolver, you put one bullet in one chamber, you spin it. Well, it's 84% safe. If you're that one person, yeah, it's pretty darn deadly. right? And, and so they are not writing the regulations. There's no definition for the standards of a mask. You know, could I wear a lace, a lace doily, right? Is that a mask? Well, number one, they don't work. And there's no standards by which you could even begin to say, well, you have to wear this mask. And, and so it's just as important to know that they're not making regulations for health-related issues that made the last four years a horror story and the reason it was a horror story is they went 75 years failing to have regulations in place that would have set standards so that the harms that were caused over the last four years wouldn't have happened failure for decades and then with the convention agreement they want to build out laboratories to find pathogens with pandemic potential, bring them into the lab, mess with them, and make injectable bioweapons to treat people for something that might be a problem, um, you should be negotiating an end to the thing that they want to pump tens of billions of dollars into. And I'll, I'll close on this. I think the um, Indonesian health minister at the B20, the business meeting in Bali, in uh, 2022, he was talking about a totally different thing where the United States government passed the National Defense Authorization Act in December of 22. And we're giving a billion dollars a year, and other nations are contributing what they're contributing to the World Bank 
pandemic fund, which is distributing this money through the WHO. So defunding the WHO isn't really good enough, right? There's money flowing in all kinds of directions. They've already dispersed hundreds of millions of dollars to various nations who applied, and they're building genetic sequencing laboratories and many other things around the world. This is just a venture capital prospectus to create a cabal of people who control this cartel of you know, laboratories and manufacturing plants to do more uh, by an order of magnitude of the same thing that they did for the last four years, but they missed a lot of black and brown people around the world. And so the, the developed nations, maybe 75% of people fell for the story, but only 25% in the developing nations. So the documents very clearly say develop, developed nations shall assist developing nations by building state-of-the-art infrastructure for the pharmaceutical hospital emergency industrial complex. So they just want more money to do more of what they've done. And the minister, health, health minister from Indonesia said, go invest. This is a great opportunity. Go invest in pandemic response products. And so as long as we allow them to see this as a profitable venture, um, we're going to keep having pandemics. If we understand that they don't give a crap about you and I and our health, they just want more control and more money so that they can do more fear mongering. Um, then, you know, when you look at the details of what's going on here, it's what they're not doing that we need to have doctors and people in the health professions understand and speak up about. And I ask you, please reach out to me, 310-619-3055. My Substack is just my name, jamesroguski.substack.com. And um, we need to let the world know that they're doing this behind closed doors. A little bit of it sneaks out, but uh, they view it from the point of view that if we are silent, they take that as our consent. Well, I, for one, am certainly not going to be silent. And what I encourage everyone else to do is a very simple thing. Um, there should be a letter down below this video that you can sign and send. But also, um, most everybody has one of these, right? Get as informed as you possibly can. Develop your own personal opinion, your own viewpoint. And be the media. People know how to use a camera and post a video online and send that video to everybody you possibly can. Send this video to everybody you possibly can, but send your video to everybody you possibly can. And, you know, flood, flood the zone, if you will, with your opinion on what in the heck is going on here. And I, you know, I think that's the the most important thing to do is what you mentioned earlier is, you know, being brave regardless um, of of what the cost is in in all of your professions. You know, doctors, uh, government workers, teachers. I used to be a teacher, and um, I was always speaking out. The truth for me was most important, regardless of the consequence. 
You know, and that, that's how I think we should be thinking. If you're a doctor or a nurse or a scientist or whatever, don't think about losing your job or the economic aspect. Um, you know, th- that's a difficult call. But my, my all my life, I've always been like, speak the truth regardless of what the consequence is. I'll worry about if I get fired and having to find a job uh, later. But I think that is one of the biggest problems. And then if, if we had enough people willing to put uh, everything on the line, you know, if we had a certain percentage, then the powers that be would have a lot of trouble. And also, as you mentioned, it's a total scam. All the, all this venture capital stuff, you know, it recently came to light through a document that in December 2019, Inqtel, the CIA, held a roundtable about how to leverage an um, an epidemic to deploy digital health technologies. Total, total scam. Um, and so, you know, you're doing great work, James. You know, keep it up. You're informing everyone. You're all over the place on so many podcasts and radio programs. And so, uh, you're one of the top people uh, on this. And then again, you know, any any final thought? We've pretty much covered the waterfront. All of your stuff links will be in the description. So, uh, we're it's worth a, it's it's you know, I'm obviously in, I'm in California in the United States. Um, recently, uh, six days ago. Um, on the 10th, uh, a friend of mine, uh, Doug Porter in Canada, submitted a Canadian petition to exit the WHO and the UN. And I think we've gotten like 25,000 signatures in six days. And so anybody anywhere on the planet who wants to do something similar, please reach out to me. I'd be happy to help. If you go to um, exitthewho.org, uh, there's several dozen uh, groups around the world who are doing similar things. Um, Australia exits the who.com is one of them. They're very active um, down under. They've just had some good news with their elections as well as what happened in New Zealand. Uh, you know, I felt the tide shift in March personally, in my, in my view, but um, I'm very, very, very optimistic because anybody who, who looks at this information comes away with, Oh, hell no. Not going to happen. And so, you know, I, I know you have an international audience and this is an international effort, but uh, I'll just leave by or, or close by pointing out the last line of the first verse of the Star Spangled Banner, our national anthem in the United States, or the land of the free and the home of the brave. Well, the opposite of courage and bravery is fear. And they've been fear mongering up a storm. But sometimes, if you do something too often, you become numb to it. And I think what's what I see happening is people are like, no, I'm not afraid of you anymore. You don't have authority over me. You've lied one too many times or, you know, way too many times. No. The answer is no. And on, on a certain level, um, we the people are to blame because collectively, We've been saying, yeah, okay, right? Or I'm afraid to lose my job, or I'm afraid I might get sick, or I'm afraid that if I don't get the jab, somebody's going to, you know, oh, oh, I'm afraid of this, I'm afraid of that. Well, that's pretty darn un-American. And so when we fight back against the fear-mongering and find the courage to just speak the truth as you know it, the way to dis- the way to display your courage is to take out your phone or whatever camera you have, speak your mind, and be the media. 
push it out there and send your video to every media outlet that you have. I did an article back in May called censorship because one of the things we didn't talk about is these documents want to give the WHO authority to declare what's true and what isn't. And so on my article censorship on my Substack way back in end of May, I believe, I list 635 members of the alternative media. And so reach out to them and ask them, hey, deadline's December 1st. Why have you not said a word? It's been 16 and a half months. Get on it. Right. And, you know, the easiest thing in the world to do is take the link to this video and share it like you've never shared anything in your life. Just if if you have a contact information, whether it's a text message, a phone number, you know, a phone number that you can call or text or leave a voicemail or an email or a direct message on some social media platform, um, plaster this all over the place. If you don't do that, then you're actually acting as a censor. And if you share this information and your own take on it, um, there's several hundred people a, a year ago posted short videos. They're all on, quite frankly, my favorite effort, um, screwthewho.com. So if you go to screwthewho.com, you can see what several other several hundred other people have done just recording a video with their opinion. And, you know, your silence is your consent. So be brave, speak up, spread the word. And if you have any questions, give me a call, 310-619-3055. You know, I, I think it just comes down to that, what you, what you mentioned, just being brave uh, and whether it's speaking out through this uh, these mediums or um, at your workplace, telling your employers. Um, uh, <laughs> and, and I use, I've, I've been frequently, since 2020, I've been using the word coward, cowardice. And, and um, a lot of people are being cowards. And I think that's important. Um, that might turn some, some people off, but I use it as, as a way. Maybe if you are being uh, at some some degree of, uh, of of a coward, snap out of it. You know, it's never too late. Uh, we've seen all those hero movies where initially the hero is acting like a coward, but then something comes over him and then he, he, he wins the day. And so I think it comes down to that. And even if some of these, you know, amendments are passed, uh, it would the, the still the same rule would apply. Maybe they do pass a lot of this stuff, but if enough people in countries just say, no, I'm not doing it, again, the powers that be are going to have uh, trouble. And I can say for sure here in Mexico, um, they're going to have to bring the military to force inject uh, me and mine. I, I, they're, they're literally going to have to blow a hole through the door because I've got like a giant steel uh, <laughs> entry door. Uh, and, and the manufacturer said, like, they're literally going to have to blow through your wall. They they can't get through the door. And so that's what the Mexican military would have to do. To <laughs> so I'm not making it easy uh, on them. Uh, thank you, James. Hopefully we meet again uh, soon, maybe at the next American Freedom Alliance or, or whatever uh, um, conference. And uh, hopefully talk soon, either on TNT uh, or Geopolitics and Empire. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed this Geopolitics and Empire podcast. The website is geopoliticsandempire.com, and I encourage you to sign up for the free email list that goes out with each podcast and every weekend with a collection of news headlines. The newsletter and website are our last lines of defense. We're being censored and deplatformed. It's nearly impossible to find Geopolitics and Empire on the Google search engine. We've been blacklisted. 
YouTube frequently takes down our videos with strikes. Facebook restricts our page. Reddit and Twitter take down posts. And after the Associated Press mentioned geopolitics and empire in a 2021 article co-written with NATO, our Patreon account was terminated. Vimeo also terminated our pro account. The best free way to help geopolitics and empire is to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or elsewhere and subscribe to all of our media channels. You can find the video broadcast now on five platforms, Odyssey, Rockfin, Rumble, BitChute, and Brighteon. You can find the audio broadcast on the podcast ecosystem, SoundCloud, Apple, Spotify, and so on. My current favorite social media channels are Twitter and Telegram, but you can also find us on Gab, MeWe, Minds, Float, VK, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Finally, Geopolitics and Empire is in dire need of funding to continue. You can leave a donation, purchase a consultation with the host, or become a member to receive additional benefits. We also produce a weekly broadcast called Dissident Thinker for members and Rockfin subscribers only. We will continue to fight the good fight come hell or high water. Thank you for listening.